You're listening to KXOB Ocean Beach, where Constancy's the spice of life. Welcome to Beach Cop Detectives, a Terriers podcast, episode one, pilot. Hi, I'm Randy Lander from the TV Dudes, and with me is... Cliff Coates. He is the author of Damnation and a TV fan, and we are doing the inaugural episode of Beach Cop Detectives, which is a Terrier's podcast. We're going to run every single episode, all 13 episodes, and what we're doing here is basically talking about a show that we love, that is beach noir at its best, and that was canceled too soon. A lot of you listening probably know all about that story. If you don't, we are going to be going through it spoiler-free, so we'll be talking about the pilot in detail, but we will not be revealing what happens in later episodes later on in the episode we will talk about stuff that's gonna play out in future episodes we'll give you a strong spoiler on before that happens so to start off here let's talk about ocean beach let's talk about terriers first of all cliff how did you come to terriers well actually i came to terriers through you just uh just a couple different conversations and just your kind of evangelical spirit about the show drew me to it and it's fantastic it was really one of the best shows you know the last you know four or five years really it's been really great yeah, I definitely have been pitching the show for a long time. Long time, my favorite show. I've talked about it on TV Dudes every week. Basically, there's always a running gag that it is the show that I would bring back if I could bring back any show. And I would sacrifice any number of other revivals in order to get Terriers back. It's a more doable one. You know, there's a, it, it seems like the, the poster child for the show we lost is, is, you know, Firefly or Serenity. Right. And it would be so difficult to get that show back just yeah. because they've all moved on to other stuff. But I think we could get at least one more season of Terriers. Yeah. When I talked to Ted Griffin at... ATX Fest this year, he expressed that he wouldn't pick up where he left off. That, you know, things have moved on from there and doesn't really think that that's doable. But they have expressed interest in a movie, and that's the current status where we're at. That maybe a movie might happen. That's cool. And, you know, and then I'm a big fan of Longmire, and it sort of even kind of piddled out, and Netflix picked it up, and they put even more resources into it, it feels like. And kind of right. revitalized it because it sort of was playing out, and then it really came back strong. And so, well, in my brain, I think that Netflix could save. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. And, I, and Netflix has been running Terriers for a long time. And I look yeah. at Veronica Mars and the Kickstarter. They did where they did a movie. It was like 10 years later, and then they did some novels. I'd love to see something like that. But let's start off with the pilot itself. The show and this first pilot is written by Ted Griffin, who worked on a lot of films. Uh, Ravenous was one of his first. Ocean's Eleven is a notable one. Matchstick Men. He was also a producer on Wolf of Wall Street and even appeared in one of the scenes. The episode was directed by Craig Brewer, who is the filmmaker who did Hustle and Flow and Black Snake Moan, and also did an episode of The Shield with Sean Ryan, who was, of course, one of the co-creators of Terriers. All right. <laughs> and so before we get to the, the show itself, we're going to talk about the four leads of the show throughout. And I think there's more than that, but essentially the four leads are the guys, and they're either ex-wives or their girlfriends. Right. So our lead characters are Hank Dolworth and Britt Pollock, played by Donald Logue and Michael Raymond James. Man, I've been a Donald Logue fan for a long time. I mean, you did Grounded for Life, but even... Even, I mean, I guess he was sort of the heavy in uh, uh, Jerry Maguire. He was one of the heavies in Jerry Maguire. He yeah. and Jay Moore were like jerks or whatever. So I've been locked on with him. I've watched some bad TV just because he's in it. Like, oh, you know. <laughs> but he was really cool in Vikings, and he was he was he was, he was good as Bullock in Gotham. This was I, I was aware of Donald Logue before this, but this is where I became a Donald Logue fan. Right. But after this, he did Sons of Anarchy and Copper. Right. Neither right. of which I've seen, to be honest. They're both in my list, but I haven't had a chance. Yeah, Hank Dolworth is just such a, he really nails it, you know. Such a good performance by him in the show. And then Britt Pollock, Michael Raymond James, which this was an early role for him. Right. Right after this, he did True Blood, 
which right. again, I haven't seen, uh, <laughs> right. but I know that a lot of people like that show. But this here, the thing that I know about Terriers is that these two were friends like in real life. Like I think they lived together oh, wow. and like became real friends on this. And you can right. see that chemistry in their you relationship. Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kids. Yeah, absolutely. Which we know Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid and the Sting are two of the big influences on the oh, show. Absolutely. And then Katie Nichols is played by Laura Allen. That's Britt's girlfriend, long-suffering girlfriend. Right, right. Uh, after this, she did Awake on ABC. And she's really good here playing sort of a younger, slightly more grown up character like she wants to become right. a vet get married have kids all this kind of stuff it's, there's some interesting stuff i mean you're going to talk about gretchen here in a minute but there's a lot of katie kind of wanting to be gretchen yeah and maybe gretchen thinking maybe things were better when i was katie you know yeah so that the two of them play off each other the way the the way the male leads do as well but yeah that's katie true definitely sees later on as things unfold you can sort of see katie looking at gretchen and thinking well why can't i have that you know yeah so, i thought she was really strong and the first time you meet katie you, you you get it. You love her. Yeah. You know, like, well, she's totally lovable. And Yeah, they do a great intro. And we'll talk about the relationships yeah. in just a second, but I also want to bring in Gretchen. Yeah. Gretchen's played by Kimberly Quinn. After this, she did a show called Twisted on ABC Family. And yeah, I think you got a good, really good point there that she is what Katie sort of aspires to. She's got a solid professional husband now or, or fiance right. and she is you know moving on with her life when she was in hank's sort of destructive orbit for a long right. time and uh they do a really good job of establishing early on like hank was an alcoholic he was really bad off right and that that gretchen despite the fact that the two of them have sort of a jovial relationship now that they're both aware that there's probably no going yeah. back they do such a good job of we don't necessarily dwell on it, but you know they had some horrible times. Yeah. The, the, the two actors, the two of them really carry their scenes so well. They're so powerful. But there's a lot of that is that unsaid, you did some horrible things. Yeah. You know, and it's, you know, it's known between the characters. Yeah, let's, uh, let's talk about the relationship before we get any further okay. in. Gretchen and Hank, when we first see Gretchen in this episode, she calls Hank on his BS immediately. Exactly. Like, he's, he's trying to not take her yeah. call, and she's there. She knows he, where he, he is. He lies, and she knows. She's yeah. on top of him. What is up? That's so weird. I was just about to call you. Jeez, you look terrific. Yeah, you don't. Yeah, well, sad news. My Pilates instructor died. How'd you find us? There are only so many places you got, Hank. And after that, after she calls him on that, you can see this sort of heartbroken look on his face while he's talking to her. And it's not anything she's doing right now. It's just that that heartbreak is so palpable in Hank anytime Absolutely. he sees her. You can, you can totally see in Donald Logue's face that he still loves this woman. He knows what he's lost. He knows he's not getting it back. Absolutely. Later on, you see that dawning realization when she's starting to talk to him about what she came to talk to him about, that right. she's getting married again. Right. He knows before she tells Absolutely. him. Absolutely. That's what I love about it. Like, she comes right up to the cusp of saying it. Yeah. And then does it. And then he ought to, like, you could jump to a million different conclusions. Yeah. But he knows, he knows exactly. exactly where she's going. You're replacing me. You're, you know, and you know it's going to hurt me. You don't want to say it. Like, so they did about 5,000 years of acting right in that, like, four seconds, you know. There's really so many. Made. Yeah. There's so much of a relationship is built in that. And that does a lot of terriers because this is only a... I don't know, 45 minute pilot. Right. It's an average normal pilot. They but pack they a pack lot in. so much character, so much background, do you know, building up some of our big bads, all the characters right. get introduced. And that's a really good example of how they're so economical in their storytelling. You see several different elements that just run the entire series, mm -hmm. the entire, at least that entire first, you know, first season, but what ends up being the series, their relationship for sure. Cause there are a lot of times you can kind of, you want couple formation, you know? Yeah. And so you think, Oh, they're getting back together. But you can even feel it here, like, no, probably not. Yeah. <laughs> he'll, he'll long for her, and she maybe at times will feel the same way, but that bridge is burnt. You know, they can't go back. And yeah. It's really interesting, to because we have to watch him live through that, you know? Yeah. Like, it makes Hank even more complex. And then there's the Brit and Katie and Hank relationship. Right. Which we see that, the first time we see Katie, she's cooking dinner, she opens the door, and Brit is there, and they're doing a bit. Like, right. the first, just like when we first see Brit and Hank. Right. They're doing a bit. Doing a like, bit. this is what they're doing. His whole uh, Tomes for Tots thing. <laughs> right. Um, Trying to get books for rich kids. Or yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. 
Sorry to disturb you, ma'am, especially during the dinner hour. Oh, yeah, I'm actually in the middle of making it. Well, I'm canvassing the neighborhood on behalf of a charity called Tomes for Tots, where we collect used books from everyday folks, such as yourself, and we donate them to local private schools so that white privileged children won't miss any opportunity or advantage. You lost your keys. Yeah, uh, and thanks, Jack. Yeah, tell your BFF I cook for three. Soup time, man. That she's she's totally involved. She's totally into it. She she goes along with it. Right. And I also love not only the the Brit and Katie relationship, which is just really nice and easy. But then after uh, he's out on the patio, she's right. doing dishes with Hank. Yeah, and yeah. you can see the two of them are just completely comfortable with each other. Absolutely. There's no sense of like, no standard TV trope of, oh, well, I'm in love with my best friend's girl yeah, yeah. or anything. They are cool. They are friends with yeah. one another. Hank may be more truthful with her than he is just about anybody because yeah. he comes right out and says things. Well, and they talk about, and she's the same way. She's right. more truthful with him because she talks about wanting to have a baby. Right. Uh, wanting to become a real person one of these days, all the stuff that she's telling yeah, she Hank. She lays it right on the line for Hank, for sure, yeah. Because she knows that Hank understands Britain sort of the same way she does. Right. And then later on the show, we get that really sweet date as Katie, as Britt takes her to this nice restaurant, and Britt is trying to be the guy that she wants him to be. Britt has four or five things that I really love, in the, you know, all throughout, but I mean, we'll start with when they when they kidnap the dog. Yeah. To take it to the dry cleaner, mm-hmm. to get the dry cleaning. Yep. You know, and, you know, Hank even says, what do you even own that needs to be dry cleaned? It's all to get this thing. It's a long, it's all- it's a long game to get the date so that he can do laundry for a week, do the tablecloths so that he can get a dinner, a nice dinner with Kate. He can't afford. He can never afford. And to put across the, how about we get a dog instead of a baby, you know, to avoid responsibility to a degree, you know. So it it all comes down to both these characters, as much as I like them, there there is the irredeemable quality of self-serving. You know, they both have that element. You know, we'll lie to you. Britt will kind of scam. Yeah, sure. If need be, you know. Yeah, he's he's still in his heart. He's he's the criminal that he was when he when he went in. I mean, Hank recruited him to be his partner, but he still started life as a criminal. Absolutely, and as a bit of a con man. Absolutely. I mean, he was he was a burglar, but he's got that con man face oh, yeah. and vibe and that kind of thing. So I want to talk about the other character in the show, which is Ocean Beach. Right. Because they filmed this in San Diego, and I think they get great use out of San Diego. Absolutely. The production design on this is by Bruce Allen Miller, who's worked on The Unit, Revenge, Rizzoli Niles, and Rosewood, uh, along with set decorator uh, Christopher Marsteller. Worked on a lot of those shows with him. Art direction is by Nigel Clinker, who's mostly done a lot of 90s stuff, including Pensacola Wings of Gold and Renegade. All right. These guys really, along with their, the rest of the team, really bring Ocean Beach to life. Like, Absolutely. They get a lot of use of that pale blue uh, Gomez and Bro- Gomez Brothers truck. Right. Like, they, they pull back from that, and they'll show us, like, the beach... Or they'll show us the street they're driving on. I, I love that this Batmobile is a Ford Courier pickup. Yes. Just a, a real, <laughs> barely held together pickup truck. You it, know? It, it tells you so much about the show. Yeah. That <laughs> that's the Batmobile. But yeah. Every shot, you, you you go from Lindis's home, which is this yeah. huge, beautiful estate, you know? Yeah. And then you can see all the different strata of, what, you know, from where their houses are and to where Gretchen's house is to Lindis's house. And you feel you feel the city build even in that first, you know, as they're just driving from point to point, you completely buy it. You're absolutely right, right that they... It, it pays off and it's yeah. that beach noir you know it's that yeah uh, well and they and they contrast the, a big part of the contrast in terrors is the the one percent versus the 99 percent, or the one percent versus the other one percent maybe <laughs> but yeah it's it's definitely the rich versus the poor to some extent and, and how the the super the rich are definitely living a different life than the life right. that hank and brit and all the people that they know are living but i think that uh the other thing that they do really well is the lighting like when they're in the diner and the natural light is sort of coming through those windows right like it is very very cool very different it gives you the sense of reality 
reality. Like right. this is these guys' this everyday life. It's got a little place. bit of that gritty light. And the same thing when they go over to Eleanor's apartment. Right. The light sort of streaming in. You get that this is like a beach apartment. This is like a sort of a beach girl who lives here. All right. that kind of stuff. There's a real sense of place the way that, that they give here, and I think that's really important. All right, so let's move on to the actual uh, story itself. Okay. So this first episode gets started right away because they're looking for Eleanor Gosney, who is the daughter of Mickey Gosney, an old drinking partner of, of Hanks. And Mickey is in bad shape. Mickey's a guy who uh, is played by Gareth Williams. Sean Ryan fans will know him as Commissioner Waylon Burke in The Shield. Or uh, not Commissioner, but uh, an, old, an old cop buddy of, uh, of Vicks who right. gets more and more corrupt. Uh, he also played Mike Potter on Dawson Creek. He's got a bunch of credits, but those are the two big ones. Right. He does a good job, though, because you really, you could, not necessarily phone that in, but you could just play that as your kind of pathetic drunk. But yeah. The bit where he pulls the money out of his shoot right towards the end of the, the scene between them. Yeah. And he's just like, I just can't. I just, you know, I can't. You got to help. You know? Yeah. In the way he's sort of, you know, he's begging his old friend to help. Yeah, he can't. He's like, he's not he's not Hank sober enough to do it, and he can't get then, sober you know, enough to do it. Like, yeah, Hank has to at that point. Yeah, from here on out, and then it just gets more and more dedicated to Mike for all the thing you know from there as it builds. So yeah. It's, it really sets that hook. You're, okay, I buy yeah. that Hank is in for it. You know, and then where they go from there is we start meeting people. We start we start seeing. And I thought one thing I really liked about this is that procedural wise, this is really tight. Right, like they move from clue to clue. They don't really like lay it out so it's not like Law and Order style where they lay right. it out so strongly right. that you can see oh that's the guy who did it because he's the big actor. But they don't really drop any uh, any balls. It's very straightforward. But it doesn't have the feel of fate or deus ex machina. You buy that Hank is a good enough detective or that Brett is wily enough. That yeah. Everything that happens, like, okay, yeah. So from there we meet Robert Lindis, who is our rich scumbag. Right, and he's played that like everything he's in. Like Christopher Cousins, <laughs> uh, he played Superintendent Ross in Glee. Ted Beneke in Breaking Bad, this is a very similar character. Very similar. And then Victor Doyle in Revolution are some of his big credits. Right. So you can tell just in the minute we meet that Lindis is sort of this practice liar. He's charming, he's smart, but Hank... Hank takes an immediately dislike to him. Right, yeah. You just, just immediate, immediately doesn't like him. And the fact that we definitely get the feel that these guys don't have a whole lot of money. Yeah. And the first thing Lindis does is hand him, you know, $20,000 check, yeah. you know, and it's like, what's your daily retainer? And he gives him an absurd number, and then Brett ups it, and the guy matches it. It's like, no problem. I'll tell you what, you guys are doing a good deed, right? Why don't I make it worth your while? What is your uh, normal daily rate? $5,000 a day. Two-day retainer minimum. And I love that scene, by the way, because you see how fast Hank thinks. Because Hank, right. he, he asks how much, and Hank goes, $5,000. And <laughs> Britt jumps right in, and he's like, two-day minimum. <laughs> and, you know, this guy, he knows, he, you can see the look on his face. He knows they're full of shit, right. but he just gives it to him anyway. Right. They walk in without the cell phone number. Without He, give, he gives them way he more gives them. He gives them the first clue, yeah. Absolutely. He gives them the first big clue. And he also asks about knowing the answer. He asks about their license, right? Because right. he wants them to say it. Right. And Hank's, Hank's answer is, is really fun. It's a really funny bit. I'm Hank Dalworth, and this is my partner, Britt Pollock. We're private investigators. <laughs> well, it didn't take you two for men who would own a dog together. You get my meaning. Uh, can I see a license, baby, or something? Uh, we found that by not working with them, we never have to worry about losing them. <laughs> And yeah, that bit is just, it's really funny and it tells you everything you know about sort of how the way these guys work. It throws Hank into that, uh, there's a lot of tropes, especially in a television, any yeah. detective television show. So he is that, you know, burned out cop who's now a private detective, but that throws you into uh, like Philip Marlowe, you know? Yeah. Philip Marlowe, in my brain, uh, what is it? Uh, the Long Goodbye, Elliot yeah. Gould played Philip Marlowe and like this show over and over again feels like The Long Goodbye, which is a great thing. Yeah. And you have uh, what, the Lee Archer books also are sort of set in Southern California and it's mm -hmm. 
mm-hmm. the detective. Anytime that you know he, he doesn't, he never puts the fedora on or anything. But right. Hank definitely has that older feel. You know, the flannel shirt almost kind of gives you that. Well, it's just it's like it's like his uniform. Yeah, he's got he's got the flannel shirt that's sort of beat up and unironed, and he's got the <laughs> right. sunglasses you know hooked into his shirt. Yeah, Hank's got a costume, got, and it's yeah, absolutely. it's every bit his costume as much as say Bogey's rumpled trench coat and and, <laughs> right. and hat. Yeah, sure. I love that as they're driving away, Britt is already planning how to spend the money, and of course he finds out very quickly how Hank's going to spend the right. money. That also sort of sets. There's some chafing between Brett and Hank. You yeah. see it later on. You see it pretty prominently. Yeah. But that's not necessarily the best partnership move. Like, okay, we just got some money. We're gonna drive over here. We're gonna put it down on my wife, my yeah. ex-wife's house. Yeah. Like, what? Like, yeah. What you- <laughs> the funny thing is, like, you can tell that that's the kind of like Brett has seen Hank do this kind right, of thing before. Yeah, exactly. Like Brett has always been the guy. He they're partners, but Hank is the guy who who drives the bus. Right. He is the guy who's the lead. He was the he was the grown up first, even though he was kind of right. a messed up grown up. He was <laughs> right. a grown up. But then they get into the the meat of the case. They find the body. Tony Bianco, part time golf that was, pro. That was another great moment that didn't. I mean, that could have really felt like they have to get here, so the writers pushed them to it. Yeah. You know, but it's that peak where they have success, but then you know, almost instantly, bad things happen. Yeah, you know? it's it's really, it's really great. It's yeah. Great. Well, and the, I like the way they react to the body, and we see that these guys are not. Carden killers. Right, he runs back out of the shit. Yeah, it's bad like, things. It's bad things. <laughs> yeah. But then the nice thing about that, again, is they do such a nice establishing that if you go back to Lindis, he mentions that his son is in a golf tournament right. and his golf pro's gone missing. Yep. It's all tight. Like, it's all Everything there. right there. Absolutely. Yeah. And that Eleanor Gosney's a suspect because she's his sometime girlfriend. Right. And we know that because we meet Mark <laughs> Gustafson. Right. Played by Rockman Dunbar, who you might know from, I remember him from playing Mr. Fire and Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. <laughs> right. Very memorably. Yes, yes, yes. But he's also played Ape Games in the Path, Pookie in the Game, and then Lieutenant Eli Roosevelt in Sons of Anarchy. A lot of Sons of Anarchy alums right, here. Of, yeah, absolutely. He's really great. And he's, he's, incredibly important in the whole story yeah and he kind of comes into this like you know at the halfway point or whatever but what i like is when we see him he's doing detective work right behind where hank is yeah Hank might be a little bit better detective than him because he's just sort of catching up to him but is hank a better detective though or is it just that hank has information that he doesn't have right he's on top i mean once he gets a sniff of it gustafson goes right after it right and he knows again he's just like gretchen great he knows when hank is bullshitting (laughs) because he was his partner he watched Hank at his worst, and so he knows him now. He knows how he's going to read. He knows when he's lying to him. He just also knows sometimes not to push. He's got that great little affectation of not smoking because he's got the cigarette right, holders. He has to carry the cigarillo of stamp yeah. or whatever. That's a good touch. It's a good character touch. But they've got the phone, and this is my question. And I don't know if it's resolved in the pilot and I just didn't catch it, but who killed Tony and why didn't they get the phone? Why didn't they get the phone? Well, when Hank meets up with Eleanor, yeah. her response is, I didn't think anybody would have left the phone on him. And I thought that was a nice little seed to plant. Yeah. Nobody would think you would be dumb enough to have the thing that we need. Right. So Hank assumes that it's the the guys they fight in the parking garage. Right. The goons. Yeah, the and goons. It's the same people that he assumes killed took, out, took out Gosling. Yeah. yeah. But... For me, I think anything that bad that happened, we don't see him in this pilot. Yeah. We actually don't physically see him. Right. But the guy in the brown suit. You think it's the fixture that we see like, later on. He is the killer. You but know? do you think he didn't get the phone? Do you think he just missed it? Right. Because that, that that's goes the question. Against, that goes against him sort of being. Yeah. The ultimate badass that's that's my phone. question is it seems it seems weird that he like he didn't have right. the wherewithal to check for the phone. And so I'm like, so maybe it was the mid-level henchman. Yeah. They just sort of shot. And, and I'm yeah, I'm not really sure. That's the one question I have right. left. That's a good, that's a good question. But from there, they've got the phone. They know this is bad. 
because Hank watches it and he's not only to see the sex tape, which is entertaining enough to Britt's reaction. <laughs> right. But yeah, um, the sex tape is hilarious. then at the end, Lindis has this phone call that clearly is incriminating information. The that's really, what he's looking yeah, for. The real problem here. And that's what leads Hank as Hank's discovering this. That's when he discovers Eleanor sitting in his house with a gun. <laughs> right. Eleanor is played by Rachel Minor. Uh, she's played Meg Masters on Supernatural and Danny on Californication. Okay. And she's really likable and, and it just instantly like acidic and smart yeah. and still over her head but streetwise but over street her head streetwise absolutely and you you buy that this is a child that was raised by a drunk yeah you know? sure maybe she's... a single parent drunk mm-hmm. so She's been an adult since she was six. Yeah, she's, she had to learn really quickly to take care of herself. She's not waiting for someone to make supper for her when she's a kid. She's right. the one helping dad get over, you know, hangovers and all of that. Right. And she, over and over again, you see her quickly adapt. Yes. When they get jumped in the parking garage, there's no, what do I do? Like, yeah, she, no, she's she in. kicks yeah. a couple guys and then runs. Yeah. Like, she knows exactly what to do. And so I, I like her character, and I like the way they handled, the way Hank handled, you know, because she she could linger. She could yeah. stay here and be part of it. Let's just get her on a train. Yeah. Out of town. Yeah. She's safe. Yeah. I can't make anybody else safe, but I'll make sure she's safe. And I thought that was really. Yeah. Hank wants to do right by his part, by, right by his, by his old buddy. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, let's talk before we talk about Maggie. I want to talk about that parking garage fight seat that, that happens yeah. at her, her office because it's such a great fight scene. It uses found objects. There's like, he hits right. him with a motorcycle helmet, hits yeah. him with a fire extinguisher. <laughs> then they hit him with a truck. With a truck, yeah. Like, it is, it is, everything and, is used in this fight. And aside from the weapon that we find that, that murdered the guy in the, in the library yeah. shed, yeah. the first time we see a firearm drawn is, is here. Yeah. And the guy that draws it, gets the truck backed up over. Yeah. Know? Like, so in a lot of shows, I mean, in a, plenty of shows, if it's like, if it's like Simon and Simon or whatever, you yeah. go back to action eighties. Yeah. There's a lot of gunplay. The good guys all have guns. And yeah. Flashing guns. Hank doesn't have a gun. Hank does not have a gun. But, and, you know, like he's not, he's too smart for that. Well, yeah. let's just get in trouble. And so the gun is evidence. The gun yeah. is the MacGuffin. Yeah. But when the bad guy draws it, it's almost instantly dealt with. But no, I did love the fight because this fight, and I guess every fight in the show. Yeah. Uh, later there's some, you know, uh, Hank gets hurt a couple different ways, but Hank gets beat up yeah you see him he holds that damage later yeah. on when he meets gretchen he's pounded he has to make an excuse for it and i like the reality of that and i like the reality of the way they fought it's yeah. exhausting just kind of slam into each other yeah. and throw you against the pillar well, it's you know? it's a noir trope absolutely right. that the, the the hero takes damage the hero gets hurt and fights do damage yeah this is not action movie physics this right. is this is noir physics yeah. hank's not a super badass but he will hit you with a fire extinguisher yes he, he will <laughs> but before they get to that fight they go into their attorney uh the very pregnant maggie lefferts played by jamie denbo who's got a ton of credits, a lot of single episodes of a lot of shows. Right. She played a, a short role on uh, Orange is the New Black as Ginsburg, and she played Raylene on Weeds, so she's done some work right. with Jenji Cohan. Right. I love her here. I love her. The no-nonsense, pregnant lawyer. Yeah. So a lawyer's just going to tell you like it is anyway. Yeah. But a pregnant woman, a, a fairly far along pregnant woman, yeah. she shouldn't have any time for your nonsense. Yeah. You know, I, it's just great. Well, and also, she knows the level that Hank and Britt are on. Like, <laughs> right. she's like, you guys don't want any piece of this. You're, get you're out. Yeah. <laughs> get out of this now. And I love that there's, yeah, that, that acknowledgement that, you know, she works for them, but she's not going to tell them like, oh, you know, she's not, she's not a crusading attorney. Right, right. She's crusading in her way. I've got these a, other jobs that y'all can handle. Yeah. She's crusading in a realistic way. Yeah. Like, she, she wants to do the right thing, but not not at the expense of her or her friends. <laughs> right. I'm sure that Brett and Hank have been a boon in some yeah. cases for They've probably also been a pain oh, in the ass. Oh, probably a pain in the ass. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sure. We get the wrap up on the case. Hank going to Gustafson and bribing him with blue label scotch right, and uh, right. and cigarette and cigarette, cigarette holders, holders yeah. and tells him about Ellie, tells him about Mexico, and then he asks him to investigate Lindis. 
at that point, Hank has not made the decision to like do anything right, about I'm this. Destroy you. He's that, yeah. he's just decided. Let me put my buddy the cop on Lindis. Right. Yeah. And Gustafson, I can't tell if he hundred percent is buying into it. I think well, he might think Hank's a little paranoid. Yeah. I think I think you know because we we learn later on that Hank has had some issues with and, wrongful arrest. Yeah. But, but then there's also you know there's, yeah. all, there's all sorts of other stuff. We'll talk but, we'll talk spoilers a little bit later. <laughs> right. Yeah. But so I think that he's probably seen Hank lock on to something like this. Yes. And he kind of sees that anger. Yeah. Oh, you you. Dude, you just hate rich people. You yeah. always think it's the you know. Yeah. And so maybe there's some of that because yeah. he says like, I can't just go accuse Robert Lindas, who's this important person, and yeah, I can't screw up my life. You already have screwed up your life. Yeah. Right? Now you're coming to me with stuff that'll get my life screwed up. Well, yeah. Let's not do that. Look, I need a favor from you, Mark. Okay, it's connected to your 187, so it's not entirely out of your jurisdiction. Okay, I want you to search the house of Robert Lindas. Robert Lindas, the developer. Yeah. Okay, why? I'm pretty sure he's behind the homicide of Tony Bianco and something else big, but I just don't know what yet. On what grounds, Hank? Do you even know who Robert Lindis is? Do you know who his friends are? Yeah, yeah, you know, I've heard that all before. He's rotten. And so is that development of his. He was screwing Eleanor. He tried to have her whack today. That's how I got this. Robert Lindis is a prominent citizen. I am not going to raid his house without very probable cause. Where did this come from anyway? I mean, you were so content of just being a layabout. Oh, now this know what? to like what? Give me back that bottle. Why? You want a drink? There's an element that we we didn't mention that I really liked that Hank did with the police in yeah. kind of the procedural. He has their the cell phone tracking yeah. information. You know, he's he's sort of he's fraudulently using the police technology. Yeah, he's to, got to, uh the new partner. Uh, Reynolds, right. he's got his code got his- to call and track the cell phone because that's how he finds the cell phone. Right, he absolutely. uses that cell phone code. Yeah, that's a good transition. Let's talk yeah. about some of the private eye techniques they use right. here because right. that's one of them. It's, that's a classic private eye thing, like using your old contacts pretending right. to be somebody. That's Rockford Files. It's Fletch. I mean, Fletch, absolutely. all the yeah. time using using you've got a name, you've got a credit card number, you've got some kind of authorization right. code. You pretend to be that person. You do that thing as them. There's also the pool cleaner thing in the beginning. One of them pretends to be a pool cleaner, confused, and goes in and uses the guy's phone. Has the, oh my cell phone's crapped out. While Britt is hilariously like, running behind, grabbing the dog. <laughs> right. That's it's a great. Almost, it's madcap. I yeah. Mean, it, 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 I mean, it sets the tone, but it is really truly funny. Those yeah. Well, it's, yeah. It's, it's almost farcical. You don't get the sense that this guy's gonna like you know turn any second and beat them. It's not a suspense right. moment. Right. It's a funny moment. It's fun. Yeah. And a lot of that's the way it's shot. Uh, the way that that uh, Brewer directs it i mean that shot where we're in the, in the foreground we've got hank talking to this poor <laughs> sap this poor giant sap <laughs> right. who's a clearly a bodybuilder <laughs> right. and could crush either of them with one hand <laughs> but is not like i like they didn't play him as a stereotypical jerk no, like no. clearly he wronged his ex-wife right or they wronged each other right but when hank is like you know hey man i'm at i'm at the wrong place like, you he lets him right phone. in he's like yeah. yeah use the phone it's cool he's yeah. real understanding when hank is talking to the confused woman on the phone <laughs> That he's using his cover. Right. And meanwhile, behind him, Britt is sort of doing is doing sketch comedy, like grabbing the dog. And it's right. really, really funny. A little bit of a Benny Hill moment. Yeah. Catching the dog. But... Yeah. So I, I like that. And that's sort of the, the thing they do well. Well, uh, I love any scene where if you introduce two characters and they end up speeding away while one jumps in the bed of a pickup truck. Right. Being chased by, you know, that's great. That's, that's fun. That's the first thing we Here's see of the them. Yeah. That's the, yeah. That's, we, we get a very good sense. That's what these guys do. Right. And then they use the dog to get into Linda's place, which <laughs> right, is great. He just right. squeezes him through calls in what i love about that is that hank goes through all these motions and goes in he's walking in as he walks in brett just leaps over the side and kind of grins at him i love that moment there's a couple different times in the series where brett's the guy that you want to hang out with yeah your kids you're on the playground 
that guy seems like fun. Yeah. I bet Brett was a fun kid to hang well, out with. The other thing he I lo- leaps the fence. It's the so other thing cool. I love about Brett is that when he leaps over and gives him that look, not only is it a funny moment, it's foretelling. Because right. at the end of the show, he's going to jump over Absolutely. and plant the gun. And so, so we're showing that he can do it. So it serves two purposes. Moment, it's foreshadowing. And that's that's really, wow. that's that economical <laughs> writing that I'm Absolutely. talking about that they do so well. That's why they can get so much stuff done in here. And then a couple other moments. We talk about the cell phone. Then at the very end, they talk to Lindis. Right. So when they talk to Lindis and they meet with him at Montague, he confirms the goons were his, which we'll find out is not entirely true, but not till later. And Hank is sure at this point that he killed yeah. Mickey. He knows that Mi- he knows he knows Mickey had an overdose. He's, I mean, he's at the crime scene. Yeah. When you hear the, the, the not the coroner, but you know the the medical examiner say you know it's a hot shot. There's no way yeah. that you didn't intentionally do that. You know Hank knows this guy. He knows yeah. he's a drunk, he's a drunk, but he's, but he's a, never done heroin. He, so he didn't choose to do the first day today. Hank knows it's murder. Yeah, you know, and I think that even from that I mean, that moment that that medical examiner says that Logue's visage changes. Yeah. He's not joking. He jokes with Lyndon. Yeah, all the way through the first yeah. scene, just like Brett. You know, they're they're joking back and forth. No, he's not joking back. He's being whimsical. You know, but he walks into that final scene with the you know, and it's dark. It's yeah, night, you know, it's brooding, and Hank's just staring daggers the whole yeah. time. You know, yeah. I'm gonna destroy you, Lindus. I could have walked away from this thing an hour ago eating shit, and Jesus knows. I've eaten enough in my life. But you killed my friend. So I'm going to destroy you. And I just wanted you to know that. What I love about that threat are two things. One is that Hank is 100% absolutely sincere about this. And two is that he has no power at all to make it happen. (laughs) Right. And so what they do is when Britt says, what are we going to do? How do we do this? He says, cheat. Yeah. Yeah. That, that absolutely sums up Hank quite a bit. I mean, he lies to the police. Yep. But he does it in that kind of Bill Clinton way to lie to the yeah. police. Like, oh, that would be illegal if I did that. You know, yeah. He totally yeah. says exactly the right things to keep himself from being detained by the police because yeah. he knows what to say. But this is that uh, it's a bluff, but you also get that perfect world. Yeah. It's not a promise. It's a threat. You know? Yeah. I mean, that, that film, Kevin Costner, I'm sure they're going to promise him a threat and he punches the guy in the nose or whatever. Yeah. But you totally get that feel here is like. I will get you. Yeah. If it's the last thing I do, I will get you. And Hank is sort of the kind of guy that will lock in and do that. Yeah. And then so he basically uses Gustafson. They use the gun. Right. And they they get him locked in for murder. (laughs) Right. Yeah. they, They put him away. I mean, like, it works. That's not necessarily the good guy move in most stories. You know, it's not the good guys that are planning. That's one of the things I I really (laughs) like about this is that these guys. I mean, I'm rooting for them throughout. Right. We love them early on. And, and, Absolutely. And, but they do not always do the right thing. They do what they have to because they're the scrappy terrier underdogs. Right. They're I the mean, terriers. Absolutely. For all the talk of, of how this was not the best title in the world, the title is really good. Oh, the yeah, title's yeah. perfect. Terriers is it a perfectly good title. Up. And they have they have a conversation later on in the series where they and they don't actually ever say it, but they talk about we need a mascot or whatever, you know? And the funny thing you get with the, with the title is in that first opening sequence, I thought, okay, is this a story about are they dog nappers? Is that right. how they... <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. So I almost like the misdirect there, you know? Yeah. But they are definitely I have a I have a little terrier and it, that's that's exactly yeah. it's the mentality. Yeah. Now, so like a Dotson will bark at you and bark at you. Yeah. The terrier just works. You know, yeah. I'm gonna dig yeah. this hole. I'm gonna <laughs> Yeah, the sort of the the constant, uh, they won't stop. Yeah, exactly. Yeah.
right. So that is our non-spoiler version of the pilot review. I mean, spoil the pilot. Right. But we haven't talked about what's going to happen before. So if you have not previously seen Terriers, please stop the podcast. Watch the rest of the series. You can come back to this section later. When you want to re-listen to our podcast series, like you're going to want to re-watch Terriers over and over. So if you have seen the series... We're not going to talk about some of the stuff in the pilot that leads on. And the first thing we should talk about is the opening like minute of the show. The first right. minute, Hank is talking about how he's he's got a missing. He goes senility yeah, clears. Or, yeah, because yeah. he's drink, he tried to drink out of a milk carton that was empty. And he says, <laughs> not only do I not remember putting the milk carton back in there, I don't remember drinking the milk. <laughs> and the thing is, this is just a cute bit. It's like a funny thing, and Bert make, makes fun of him and we move All on. Right. But that is because his sister is living in his attic. He's living in his attic. And, and we'll find that in, in episode four. Like right. it's it's already there, and doesn't he moves right? Yeah, he moves, so, and she moves with him. So she moves with. That's yeah. how she is definitely the smartest person in this show. I mean, she has a lot of mental issues, she has yeah. a lot of issues, but like, boy, she's wily to so just to live like that. And the fact that she prefers it later, yeah, she stays living in there. I, yeah. she was such a great character. She's a great character, and I'm I'm looking forward to to meeting her in four. Right, yeah. but it also gives you a lot about Hank because yeah. Hank had this genius little sister, yeah. little sister, right? Yeah, and like when she got to college, she kind of lost her lost mind, her mind. She, yeah, you know, or yeah. whatever it was set in, and so he had to had to help her. Just like Hank had, he had Gretchen. He had yeah. this pretty great, he had the job he wanted, obviously. Yeah. He's good at it. Yeah. He's a good cop, beautiful wife. Yeah. And then it's not just that a case hooked him. It's a yeah. case involving her that he feels he needs to get revenge for. Yeah. Like, yeah. Man, like he he kind of went out of his way to ruin his life for her. Yeah. And lost her because of it, you know? Yeah, that's so true. That's, just, that's Hank over and over again. He's like, oh, yeah. Oh, dang, Hank, that has to hurt. You know? Yeah, well, and you alluded to that case. Let's talk about Hank getting a hold of. We won't find this out till much later Wayland, in the series. Yeah. But I love that they introduced Detective Reynolds. Uh, <laughs> right. Craig Susser, who's been on the OC, The Bold and the Beautiful, had a small partner since 12. He seems like kind of his role here is to be the new straight good partner for, for Gustafson. Absolutely. absolutely. He, he is the guy who does the job, snarks at Hank because he doesn't understand how Hank could have screwed up his partner this way. Here. Yeah, he's the nebbish. He's a, he's a basic dude. And he is a sinister figure, <laughs> right? He's like this Kaiser Sosa yeah. of the police district. And we know? won't know that till much, much later. And I, and I think that's really, really interesting that they left this character in the background just to sit. Absolutely. And I watched that, I watched the episode watched episode one with, uh, and uh, my wife hadn't watched it through and so we watched it last night and the second he comes in I'm yeah. like I don't, I don't yeah I can't say anything but don't trust that guy yeah I, I, he <laughs> yeah well, what's what's great about it is that we almost feel sorry for him as the audience like right. Hank is giving this guy shit all the time because <laughs> right. he's his new he's a new partner like and we're like this guy didn't do anything wrong this all he did guy. is he works and yeah it's uh we, when we get to that reveal <laughs> he's it's like an interstate it's all sorts of horrible stuff yeah absolutely. And I also want to talk about the playing the gun is so very much like what Hank does. In a few episodes when he signs the check in the dead man's name, right. like Just Hank like is quickly. Hank is not above whatever needs to be done no. in the moment. He will do whatever needs he to be do done. It. I think there are certain people that he wouldn't screw over. Yeah. But if, if there's Hank and there's his objective... He, he's going to make it happen. And he's not your typical, like, you know, Mr. White or whatever in Reservoir Dogs. I'll just shoot everybody in this right. room. He's not that kind of guy. No. But he would screw just about anybody over to make sure that whatever he's moving forward on yeah. happens. He'll know? take he'll take shortcuts. Take Him and Britt both. Yeah, he'll cheat. Yeah, he'll cheat. <laughs> that is that is a big part of who Hank is. And then there's Katie. So later on, the, the Katie relationship is going to be really, Katie-Hank relationship is going to be very important. Absolutely. And, you know, when you talked about earlier that they, they almost seem to confide in each other better than... She's able to confide in Brett and you know, yeah. and vice versa. They they tell Hank things and then Hank has to sort of filter them. And and so later on, uh, Katie has a moment of infidelity and there's even a pregnancy scared. And so all these huge elements 
between she and Brett to ruin their relationship. You know, your typical show, we see those things happen and then she tries to hide them and it sort of gets worse right. and worse and worse. And right. Not right off the bat, but she comes to Hank. Very quickly tells, she goes to Hank, yeah. And, and he tells her to, to hide to it. Hide it yeah. You know? Yeah. Hank, Hank kind of gets her in trouble because he, and he's not wrong. He's right that she, she can't tell him. Right. But, but that Hank is sort of a co-conspirator very early on because of the way they are. You don't see it so much in this pilot, but there is a tension between the two partners, between Brett and, and Hank. And I think that that's, that's some of it is that Hank would lie to him to keep him from being upset, which is, yeah. which is love, you know? Yeah. But at that moment, you feel betrayed, you know? Yeah. So you can have that moment of, of, of recoiling to it. The, and the whole wedding episode is just so emotional. Oh, you know, yeah. With all of them. Yeah. So you, you expect someone to get into a fight about something, but it ends up being the two, the cute couple that you, that you want to see right. get together, you know? So one more thing we haven't talked about, and that's the music. Oh, yes. The the music composer on this is Robert Duncan. He's a three-time Emmy nominee. He's worked on Buffy, Chicago Code, The Unit, Mad Dogs, tons of Sean Ryan stuff. Right. He is also the guy who does Gunfight Epiphany, which is the great theme song of this show. What I like about the music throughout this is that there's not a lot of spot music like we have in sort of modern. A lot of modern TV right. does like like pop pop music is in the background. Right. When they're listening to the the radio, it sounds like radio music. It sounds like sort of beach radio music, right. but it's original pieces. And I think that's real. I've that's got no cool problem idea. with spot music. I, I I think it's great. Right. But I like that Duncan gives a sort of sound feel like he's doing as much as they are doing with the San Diego setting. He's doing the oral setting in that way, you right. know, uh, which I think is really important. Right. Uh, I think this is a good place to wrap things up. Cliff, thanks for joining me on the very first episode of Beach Cop Detectives, a Terriers podcast. Cliff Coates is the author of Damnation, a dark Western horror, which you can find anywhere ebooks are sold. It was fun to get to sit down with you and dissect the plot to, dare I say, the greatest TV show of all time. All right. <laughs> okay, so where are we leaving off with this pilot? Uh, we got a dead friend, we got a powerful guy framed for murder, and we got a couple ill-advised real estate deals. Yep, and we got fun. Beach Cop Detectives is an independently run podcast co-produced by Randy Lander and Grant Davis from the TV Dudes and part of the Permanent Record Network. Music for this series includes the surf music tracks Happy and Whimsical by Paul Tayan. To hear more of his work, go to soundcloud.com slash Paul Tayan. Artwork for the show is by Nate Bliss. You can find him at n8bliss-art.tumblr.com. You can like us on Facebook at Beach Cop Detectives and on Twitter at Beach Cop Podcast. You can hear weekly TV commentary by Randy and Grant at the TVDudes.com. Thanks for listening.